Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 46, and the last time the message was titled A New Era, and you know, you basically Isaiah is prophesying the future, uh, the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian domination of the world. Unfortunately, the Jewish people were scooped up, swept up in that captivity, but God allowed it to happen because of a lot of the wickedness that they were practicing uh, from their pagan neighbors. So that's what happened, and they go into this 70-year captivity based on Jeremiah's prophecy and other prophecies, but the so 70 years are up, and God is looking to bring his people back into their homeland to rebuild Jerusalem. So it's a, a new era. Uh, next Sunday, or the next time that I teach, I'm going to go into the timeline. I was going to do it today, but for time's sake, I'm going to shift it forward, and we're going to check that out. And today, it's basically, the question is, and the title is, you know, are we trusting in God, or are we trusting in futility? And if I can take a moment and have a pause for those that are listening. So they're like, what happened to my radio? But basically, uh, I just have a question, you know, just something to think about. God will bring it to your mind. Today, in your life, in my life, take a moment and bring to mind, what are you trusting in? By the way, a pause for more than a second for a public speaker is very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, uh, but God is faithful. And as Christians, sometimes we say, oh yeah, God, 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 but then we trust in other things that are not necessarily God. And for those of you that have come in that don't know God, you've got to ask that question too, because God only gives us two choices. We're either trusting in Him, or we're trusting in anything else, which is futility. It's vanity. It's not going to stand the test of time, especially when it comes to salvation. So we're going to look at this in five parts. Jumping in, chapter 46, it says, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. These were the false gods of the Babylonians. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So one out of five is the idols or these false, little false gods that they uh, made out of metals and wood and fashioned to make them look a certain way. Uh, the little false gods of the Babylonians were now carried into captivity because what's going on? This is a period of time in the 6th century B.C. where the Persians are rising to power and they're conquering Babylon and they're taking over all of the land that Babylon had plus some more. So Cyrus the Persian is in charge and all the little gods that the Babylonians prayed to night and day couldn't save them. And oddly enough, God was saying, you know, why? Why are you still putting them in your sacks? Why are you still putting them on your cows and your donkeys as you either flee or you're dragged into captivity because the Persians are in charge now? You're still counting on these little gods and they're not going to save you. They haven't before and they still won't. The ironic thing is they hit a bump, the idol falls onto the ground, you've got to pick up your little false god, put him in the sack, and continue on your journey. So, again, this is, in, in the United States, in America, I mean, in any church where there's preaching, you know, it's contextual, it's geographical. You know, there's things, again, that American culture, people rely on that can become idols. 
Again, it's either God or it's futility. And God does this a lot. You know, he says there's two choices. It's me or nothing. And again, we go into the supermarket. Confusing for me, 100 different types of bread, 50 different types of milk. Choices galore. You know, people routinely leave a spouse and find another one and leave them. And choices, choices, choices. But God says there's two choices in the spiritual realm. Him and everything else, which is futility. This is something that's uncomfortable to American culture, but it's, it's fact. So it's a, it's, again, it's a tragedy when something that we're trusting in becomes a burden to itself. So not only could the, these little metal gods couldn't save, but they loaded up the packs where they could have had clothing and different things, and their poor cows and donkeys had to carry these ridiculous idols that did nothing for the people. Um, so this is what God is saying here. He uses logic. He gave us a big brain. He wants to reason with us, the Bible says. And he even reasons with those who are not even his yet. Right? The Babylonians, they were pagans. Unfortunately, some of the Jewish people that got into captivity were negatively influenced, and they started following these little idols. You see what I'm saying? So this is what's going on. Verse 3, we continue. He says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he. Even to your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. So two out of five is... Here's a contrast, right? The pagans, the apostate Jewish people were following false gods. But God says, it's pretty neat, it's a flip. He goes, but I want to carry you. You know, you want to carry these little gods? Turn to me. I want to carry you. And house of Jacob, especially the Israelites, I birthed you as a nation. You know, I've, I've led you through different places. And in my word, I promise you certain affordability, certain protections if you follow me. You understand? So this is what's going on. Um, God carries his people. And you, you look at from the womb to old age to gray hairs. Uh, for just a moment, I was actually thinking of the amniotic sac of a woman who's pregnant and the fetus inside of that amniotic fluid. You, you realize all the things that that sac does? It keeps out infection. It actually keeps the umbilical cord from getting kinked and providing vital nutrients to the baby, Right? It also is a cushion. How many pregnant women, because now they have this big belly, bumped into stuff, and, and the baby, it's like a shock absorber. It also does temperature regulation. Right? A pregnant mom could be outside in a hot sun sweating, and a, a lot of, you know, for the most part, that baby is kept in a, in a cooler, perfectly temperature-controlled environment. So I love that when God uses these metaphors or he uses things that are literal, and you look at it and you say, man, that, you just, just meditate on it. It makes so much sense. But of course, the amniotic sac just happened by accident over millions of years. You know, and I'm being facetious. It's, a, it's an engineering marvel is what it is. But God says, and he says this to us today as well. God says, I made you. I will bear you. I will carry you. I will deliver you. God is a personal God. Sometimes you'll follow or you'll talk to somebody who is part of a religion that maybe you don't understand and you ask them questions and they'll talk about, no, no, we don't see our, our God as a personal God. And we can't even see if we could ever please Him. We might not find out until the day we die. But the true God is a personal God. These things are personal things that people do to each other. And He's saying, I want to do that. 
Now, folks, people come into a church from various backgrounds. Some suffer trauma. Some have abandonment issues. Some have become callous and have kind of almost put a, a covering or a wall over their heart. But if you're considering God, I do want to encourage you that He's not like people. You know, people do mean things to each other. They, you're, they're your friend one day, they're your enemy the other day, right? They, they use you and you think that, well, you had something. But God is, is different. You know, He's a, a loving God and He only wants the best for us. And that's very important to understand. God will carry us. And sometimes, I know I can look back, especially in the days that I wasn't a Christian, and I think it's about some of the stuff that I did, and I know He carried me. He had a plan, plans that I couldn't see. I had no purpose in my life. I was completely wayward. But I look back, and I look at especially situations, and I'm like, wow, God definitely carried me through that. And, be- and believe me, we can all, if we think about it hard enough, we can, right, you've see, seen some head shaking, uh, that we know that God has carried us. Continuing on, verse 5, he says, To whom will you liken me? Who will you liken to God? It's like an impossibility. And make me equal and compare me, that we should be alike. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance. They hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god, like we talked about, little figurines. Even today, some do this. They have altars in their homes, and they put little figurines of different supposed gods, and they bow down and they pray. They're polytheists. They pray to all these gods, and they keep putting more on just to hedge their bets in case they offended a god that they didn't know about. Um, in, in Acts, the Apostle Paul, right? The, the, the Athenians, the, the Greek, the Greco-Roman culture, they actually had an idol. The Apostle Paul was walking through, and it said, to the unknown god. You know, polytheist. Well, maybe there's a God we forgot, and we don't want him to be upset with us or her. So I just put this kind of thing up there to the unknown God. So he says they they make it a God. They prostrate themselves. They bow down. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulder. They carry their little gods, right? And and in some of these feasts, even today in other countries, they have these parades with uh, idols, with representations, sometimes of Jesus and the apostles, and they carry them because they're wood or their cardboard, or their metal. So they carry their, their idols with them through the streets. Uh, they set it in its place, and it stands. Right. Hopefully when you make your God, you make it have in a flat bottom so it doesn't fall over. Uh, from its place it shall not move. Stay there, little God, stay there. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. So we're going again, we're going to this, this contrast, this back and forth. Idols, God says, I'm the real God, I'll carry you. Now we're back to the idols again. Not only if they fall, they can't get themselves up, you've got to pick up your idol. But if you place them in, in a corner of your house, they can't move, they can't respond. You can cry out to them in your distress, and they're just going to stand there and stare at you because they're not real. But God is a personal God. God can hear your cries. You know, God can interact with you. God can give you comfort. He can use other people to help you. Um, and this is what God does. But these false gods can't do it. And the, the Scripture is all about having a relationship with the living God. Find me any book in the Scripture, right? Stump the pastor. And tell me, well, where do you find the relationship with God in that book? I can do it easily. with Just give me a few seconds, you know what I'm saying? Um, that's what it's all about. God wants a relationship with us. Last few verses of 
chapter 46. It says, remember this and show yourselves men. Take courage, be a man. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And that's what he was doing right here. He's speaking to the Israelites at a time that they actually were free. God broke them free from the Assyrians and the Babylonians hadn't even risen to power yet. Forget about the the Medo-Persians. And God is saying, well, this is what's going to happen and they're going to get into Jerusalem. You're going to be carried captive. But the good news is Cyrus is going to rise up and he's going to conquer Babylon and he's going to like you and send you home. None of this has happened yet. It has not yet been done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the metaphor, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So three out of five is, it's a call to the stubborn. (laughs) It's a call to the stubborn. God says, I warned you not to do these vile things. I do have to take a a moment for to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about this in the next section, how Babylon was the mother of all false religions. And I'm going to get to that. So there's a a religious connotation to the whole Babylonian echelon, the whole worship system, and we'll get to that. But he says to his people, I warned you, I promised what would happen if you disobeyed. And we do this to our kids, right? You know, as they get older and they start asserting their independence, as parents, they become adults, and we just warn them about certain things that they may do, when they're not under our control or our authority, the older they get, that there's consequences for this type of behavior. Now, we don't want to be right, and we don't want to see it happen. But oftentimes, especially as they go from the teenagers to the young adult years, they run into situations, and they get snagged. And we were right. Not because we want to be mean, but because we love them. My parents did that to me. You know... I think it's 17. Of course, I knew everything there was to know, and my parents didn't know anything. And I certainly found out in the next few years that they were right about a lot of things, which even made me more frustrated. <laughs> you, know, you don't want them to be right, right? So God is speaking to his people like sometimes we speak to children. You've got you to gotta see the parallels here. Um, okay, you didn't listen. However, now I'm going to give you a second chance. God is the God of second chances. How many times have we heard that? Now, he's speaking to a whole nation. But he does it to us individually as well. And when we give altar calls, some of the hindrances people think, well, I did this and I'm involved in this right now and God wouldn't want me. No, God does want you. You know, he wants to give you that second chance. Jesus died for your sins. And if you've lived long enough, you know, you probably find that he gives you three, four, five, a whole bunch of chances. But it's very important that when we sin, we come to him, we repent. You know, there is that forgiveness and that we move forward in restoration. And God was trying to do this to the nation. So he, he speaks to them. He calls them stubborn because they were stubborn. Now he's saying to them, don't, don't languish in your misery. You're going to be freed. Get excited. Right? There was a, a national repentance going on. 
pack your bags, start practicing walking, because you guys are going back to Jerusalem. This is awesome. Again, the God of second chances. But again, he calls them out. Specifically, you're stubborn-hearted. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever tried to help someone more than they want to help themselves? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And you know, it 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 happens, and it's it's so frustrating. You have the love, you have the compassion, you have the ability to get them to take those steps, and they are being so stubborn, and that's a difficult thing. It's a really difficult thing. And God is trying to do this with His people. I want to help you. I've forgiven you. I want to return you to your homeland. But a lot of them were stubborn. A lot of them were even holding on to the Babylonian idolatry. He says this, Remember, recall, remember the past. For us, it's like, oh, it's interesting, Pastor Joe. It's a historical thing and it's kind of cool. I like prophecy. But think about what was going on then. Isaiah was speaking to the people. Of course, God was directing Isaiah. He was speaking to the people in the present. But he was speaking to them about a certain future. And a certain future as if that future was the present. Recalling back to the past, a past that was still a future for when Isaiah was taught. I know I just confused a lot of people. But that's exciting because, listen, I'm always dealing with just what I do. I have friends, associates, that they, they try to challenge me, and I, I do a lot of apologetics. Um, if you're going to tell a lie, one thing about liars is they're vague. Because if you catch them, they can say, no, I didn't say that specifically, I said this. And they keep changing the lie. So when the Scripture, God says, test me, I'm going to give you incredible details, dates, names, places, etc. And it comes to pass, you're like, it's got to be God. How did, would He know this in the future? So this is exciting. 2018, it's exciting. But 7th century B.C., it was even more exciting. 6th century B.C., when Cyrus came and it actually happened, it was super exciting. And verse 10, he goes, my, my counsel will stand. God's counsel always stands. It's going to stand forever. Verse 11, he speaks about the bird of, the prey, uh, the bird of prey from the east. It's a metaphor for Cyrus the Great. Uh, he was due east of not only the Israelites that were left in Israel, but due east of the Babylonian Empire. So that's a truthful statement, obviously. Uh, and he was God's deliverance instrument. Verse 13, he says, I will bring my righteousness near. We covered this in the last chapter. My salvation shall not linger. A lot of the deliverance was a physical deliverance. However, he was also speaking to them about Jerusalem that was at this present time, um, actually Actually, at the time he was talking, it was still standing. But at the time of Isaiah, it would be, it would be you know, after the Babylonians be lying in ruins. And then under the Persians, they would go back and rebuild it. So under the sacrificial system in the temple, there was atonement for sins. In addition to that, God also points through the Old Testament to the future, to the coming Messiah, who would bring deliverance of our souls, which is obviously the most important thing of course, in Jesus Christ. And something good was going to happen. They just needed to trust God. You know, for some, they're so beaten down that they can't even lift their head. They can't even consider the prospect of something good happening. But this is very encouraging to God's people going through this difficult time. 
And folks, when we go into difficult times, it's always great to read the Scripture and to read the encouragement in there, the promises that God has for us. Honestly, when you look at eternity, it's only going to get better from here, no matter what you're dealing with. So continue on, chapter 47, verses 1 through 7. Now this is uh, an anthropomorphism. He's speaking to the nation of Babylon as if Babylon was a person. Well, let's follow this. He says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, which was another name for the Babylonians. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate or dainty. Take the millstones and grind the meal. Remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. And as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence, go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I have have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly you laid a very heavy yoke. And you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. So four out of five is the destruction of Babylon. So it's not speaking to a person, although it seems like that. Again, it's an anthropomorphism. It's a human characteristic put on something that's not human. So the nation Babylon was looked at in many different ways. Babylon looked at herself as, our kingdom will never end. It's a superior kingdom. We have 300 high-foot walls. We're built over a river. We're self-sustaining. The city controls the rest of the area. So I'm a lady. I'm a princess. I'm an aristocratic queen. He says, but you don't see yourself. You are going to become a, a serf, right? Somebody who is at the mercy of others. And when we get to Revelation, or actually the future from our earth from 2018, Babylon in its, its religious aspect is going to rise again as, as a false religion that the Antichrist is going to be a part of and to help to deceive the nations. Right? She's going to be called the mother of all harlots, and that's in Revelation. And she'll finally be vanquished, as the Scripture says. So you can see these different, you know, the the nation says, we're going to last forever. We see ourselves as a queen. God says, no, you're a serf, and you're going to be considered the mother of harlots when you're finally exposed. So let's go through this. (laughs) The destruction of Babylon. Well, this happened uh, in history. You can read up on it. Uh, In Daniel chapter 5, remember, Belshazzar the king was having this drunken feast and um, all of a sudden, a hand appeared on the wall, and it wrote, Mini, Mini, Tekel, Eupharsin. And everybody stops. <laughs> They're terrified. They call Daniel, who's an old man at this point, and he interprets it. God said, He weighed your kingdom, and it's been found wanting. And now, at this very night, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken from you. Okay, so the destruction of Babylon. Daniel... All throughout his life, Daniel was one of the captives taken to Babylon, had a, a witnessing and purifying effect on the Babylonian kingdom. It does appear that Nebuchadnezzar has a conversion experience. Um, we know Isaiah's scroll also gets to Babylon. 
So even though God is writing to his people through Isaiah, the scroll went into foreign nations as well. And the Persians read it too, and Cyrus sees his name written. Wow, this was was written before I was born, and you wonder why he was so kind to the Jewish people. So again, those that are against the scripture and against the Bible, there's certain things they can't answer. They can't answer. Why did Cyrus do this? He was a great conqueror. Makes no sense. And only for them? So, you know, listen, God, God has done things where he's appeared, he's had angels appear, Jesus rose from the dead, and the stubborn human heart still didn't believe in a lot of cases. Uh, so people say, well, just show us a miracle. Well, miracles were shown a lot in the first century, and people still didn't believe. They rejected it. But, you know, God's word is going to stand forever. I covered, I covered a lot in actually the opening of this, this actual section right here. But again, Babylon sees herself idyllic, uh, this picture of an empire that lasts forever. But God sees her differently. And what's really important in life is how God sees us or, or a situation versus how we see it. Even as Christians, we, we have to be uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture to interpret a situation than just kind of look at it with our own eyes, right? Jesus spoke about that. There's got to be a discernment versus just an ocular uh, representation. But God says in advance, you're going to be destroyed. Uh, If you actually look at pictures, put Babylon in your computers, in your search engine, you can still see the walls. And a lot of them, even through war and stuff, over, uh, over two millennia, a lot of the walls are still standing. It's actually very impressive. But there's nobody living there except Bedouins, wanderers, and animals. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so the mighty Babylon was taken down. Actually, today, if you, if you look for it, it's in Iraq, in the Hillah province. Uh, and it's just, a, it's just a representation of what God said in his word. There was a, the hanging gardens of Babylon was one of the great wonders of the world. The whole irrigation system and what they did. Very impressive if you read up on it. You would think at that time, this place can never be destroyed. It's impregnable. But it was, like God said. And folks, this is also important as well. Babylon, and and God allowed the Jewish people to rise to power and to have, you know, kingdoms and armies and stuff. He allowed other uh, empires to rise to power. The Romans rose to power. But God also held them accountable for their power and their authority. And you see that a lot in the Scripture. He's like, this is going on for too long. We have to end it. You can even see kingdoms in our modern times that thought that they would last forever and they started thumbing their nose at God and God allowed them to be humbled and taken down a little bit right even Britain the the, you know the expression was the sun never sets on the British Empire they went everywhere and now they're really confined to a, a small geographical area so it can happen anywhere and I have to tell you on a personal note uh when I was a police officer and I got saved and I started reading the Bible I said to myself because you know I carried a gun I had a badge I had certain powers of arrest Uh, I remember just as I became more mature as a Christian, I would just pray, Lord, when I go out onto the patrol, that I wouldn't make a mistake and falsely bring somebody in or that my judgment would be good. We have to look at this, right? It's it's really not important about how we see ourselves. How does God see us? And I I just want to put this out there. If you're a business owner, if you've got a promotion, if you're a manager, if you're a CEO, judges, right? Right? If you have any position of authority, understand what the Bible says. God can take us down. 
as quickly as he allowed us to rise. Now, I'm not saying that he's a mean parent, but I am saying sometimes we do things where we can be drunk with our own authority and our own power. How do we treat our subordinates? Are we fair to people? Right? Because as, as quickly as someone rises to that position, he can also take them down a notch. There's actually a scripture um, that I want to cover in Proverbs 6, 6, 16. What is God like? What does he think? Well, in Proverbs 6, 16, it says, these six things the Lord hates. It didn't say he hates people. People love to take the scripture out of context. He said, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Well, you can tell a lot by people's body language, can't you? There's something behind that proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. Pretty powerful. And a lot of people, and I do hear it, well, why isn't God doing anything? He has His time. God is long-suffering. But even if they escape it here on this planet, they will deal with, He will deal with them in the judgment. So don't worry about those evil people because God will definitely catch up to them. So you see that going on. Verses 8 through 15 in chapter 47, it says, Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, that's a reference to making yourself God, and there is no one else besides me. Only God can say that, but people do it. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Nobody sees what I'm doing. I, I can keep doing this. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. They, it's twisted you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from these things that shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored. Your merchants from your youth, they shall wander each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. So what does this all mean? Five out of five is what the Babylonians were trusting in were going to end in tragedy. Going back to the, to the title. People on this earth in this culture, trust in a lot of different things. The scariest thing is when they trust in things that have to do with their salvation. And it's, they're on faulty ground. Again, the Bible's not trying to be mean. God wants everybody to be saved. It says that very clearly. And sometimes He has to shake us to wake us. Sometimes, I've got to tell you, there's sarcasm in here. I, I love this. <laughs> because sarcasm 
can get our attention. God's like, well, what are you trusting in? You think it's going to save you? Well, we'll keep doing that. You, know, you keep going down the wrong path, and, but you keep trusting these things, and there's a little sarcasm in there. Verse 8 and 9, he said that they had pleasures, they dwelt securely, they said, I am, they said they can't fail. We'll never have widows, we'll never be childless, and there were metaphors there, but there was also in the wars that the Babylonians lost, they did lose uh, loved ones. And some of them were driven, unfortunately, uh, to poverty. So these things actually did happen. Uh, it plunged them into tragedy because of their attitude. How's our attitude? To, again, for me, what does the Scripture say? What situation am I dealing with? What attitude should I have in this situation? Right? Am I erring on the side of grace? Am I looking to make war? Am I putting on the war paint? Or am I trusting God through this situation and using that as a last option? Verses 9 through 11. A lot of reason why they had the attitude that they did that put them on, a, on an improper footing, on a faulty footing, was because of their sense of security. They relied on their sorcery and their enchantments. You know, I love it. You, you look at the newspapers, right? And for the most part, the media, you know, they'll... They have winners and losers. They're really not fans of Bible-believing Christianity, but, you know, because we're not science-minded. I love that. Before Darwinism and his theories, if you, if you actually chronicle the scientists, the majority of them were people of faith. That's, that's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, Answers in Genesis, I believe it's .org, has a list of hundreds of botanists, biologists, physicists, um, you know, neurologists that, that affirm belief in God, but they're often ostracized and you don't hear about them. So, the, so this is what's going on. But it's funny because these newspapers even today have what? The horoscope. Oh, just look at the stars and stars are aligned in a certain way and well, that means you're going to get money today or you're going to have, now's the time to date. I mean, they can plunge you into insanity if you follow this stuff. Because it's really not based on anything. It's not based on science, and it's certainly not based on God's Word. But the Babylonians had, again, their religion. They had holy men, and they wore vestments, and they had titles, and they would look at the stars, and they would do different things to tell the kings, you're going to be fine. Medo-Persians aren't going to get in. And that actually delayed their repentance and caused the destruction even sooner because of the religion that they followed. Uh, he also speaks about their wickedness. They were proud sinners. They were proud sinners. You ever meet somebody who's just, they're, they're thieving, they rip people off, whatever, they, and they just, they don't care. This is what I do. I'm doing well in life. Proud sinners. Hurting people, gossiping. Um, don't care. Right? Verse 10. He says, their attitude was, no one sees me, or I can get away with it. Nobody sees me. That's crazy. God sees everything. But when you're in a a sin or you're in some, and you're completely deceived by it, you you don't even consider God. You don't think that God sees what you're doing. He says, your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. You ever meet somebody who is even really intelligent, but they're warped? You ever meet somebody who had great achievements? but it affected their judgment? You ever meet somebody who had a God complex? 
Well, some of you are making faces at me. I'm going to assume that's a yes. Uh, and I do, have to, I do have to mention this. I really feel it's important. Um, I don't, sometimes things come up in the news and, and they're, they're viable and they're real. And uh, I, don't, I just know that I'm covering a message and there's, there's a nexus there. You know, the Babylonians, and, and this will happen too, when the Israelites started following a lot of these pagan practices, they put these little these figurines, these statues, these gods in God's temple. They took out the Ark of the Covenant. We're, we've been covering this uh, in Kings. So some of them were very perverted. They were um, very lustful. Uh, there were uh, sexual perversions that happened. But this was their religion. You wonder why God allowed his people to go into captivity. This is, this is abhorrent. This is disgusting. You see in the paper um, church, another church scandal. Uh, over a hundred priests and over a thousand minors affected by this, victims. Before the one in Pennsylvania, it was in Boston. Before Boston, it was some, somewhere else. Sick, sick. To think of one child who's abused in the name of religion. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I get this. From some of my friends, some of them just don't want to come to God. Some of them are really true. They're like, well, how can I trust my kid in a church when I read about this stuff in the paper? It's, it's vile. It's practices that, that aren't corrected. It's for somebody under the cloak of being a man of God to sexually abuse a child. Not one child that should happen to. So if anybody is, is curious about my opinion on this, Believe me, there's words and there's feelings that I have that I just want to contain how I feel, but it's disgusting. If there was an accusation made in this church, honestly, I'd call the Jamesburg police and say, investigate it, come into our church. I want to get to the bottom of this. To take pedophiles and to put them in other locations and not contact the authorities so they could abuse other children, it's, it's just, well, these are one of the questions that I have. You know, I have some questions as a pastor when I go to see God. It's, it's, as you can tell, it's, just, it's bothering me to, to cover it, but it's not real. Honestly, I, I, how do you say that that person is a man of God? I, I don't know how you do it. How do you protect somebody like that? It's, nobody sees me. I have a God complex. I can do this to the most vulnerable and I'll be fine. Some of them did. They lived till their old age and died, but let me tell you something. God's going to raise them back up and they're going to be judged. Because don't tell me that you can do that to a child and you're a man of God. I'm sorry. Over and over and over again. So any perversion that happens today in religion, a lot of it comes from this. Right? Was it Revelation 17? He speaks about Babylon as the mother of harlots. She caused the, the kings and the nations of the earth to commit spiritual fornication. Right? When the Antichrist sets up his false religion, it'll be in the spirit of Babylon. And uh, Christians, we won't be here. The Lord will be calling us home. But the earth will see these type of things. They're just gonna, it's just going to be an explosion. Horrible. Verses 12 through 15. Again, he's using sarcasm to get the attention of these people, to get them to, to look at him, um, or actually look at what they're doing and see that it's not working, uh, and to, to turn to him. Um, and it was, a, it was you know, something that he wanted them to do, to consider. 
verse 14 through 15, he basically says anything that we trust outside of God will burn. It won't be able to deliver. It won't be able to deliver itself. And it won't be, be able to deliver those that follow them. And God is saying, you know, see these things, test it. Um, perhaps you'll profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You know, you are wearied in the multitude of your counselors, these, these spiritual charlatans telling the people wrong things time after time after time. When are you going to leave them? God is saying, and turn to me. He, he lays out this case as if it was a courtroom. Listen, let me start with this again as, as I opened. What are we trusting in? Think about your situation right now. It could be your physical ability. could be wealth. It could be contacts. I know people. I'm politically connected. It could be, oh, this is the relationship that's going to do it. And some of the stuff might not be bad. I'm, I'm not saying that. But are we trusting in that more than we're trusting in the living God? Because when we trust in God, He can deliver. When we trust in anything, anything else outside of God, it just leads to futility especially when it comes to salvation. Think about what you're trusting in. Why do you think that you're going to get to heaven? The only answer is, the true answer is, right? Jesus said, is through him. He said, all others are thieves and liars. He goes, I'm the good shepherd. So, salvation, even more important. There's only two choices. The wide road that leads to destruction. Jesus said, unfortunately, many follow it or the narrow road that leads to everlasting life. Which road are you on this morning? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.